0: We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders. And you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, We also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders. And that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership. It's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers and you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. if you If you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow today's guest is Chris Doe. Chris is the founder and CEO of The Future. Welcome to the podcast, Chris.
1: Thanks for having me, Jono.
0: Yeah, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. Uh, first of all, for our listeners, some people, you know, you're, a lot of people uh, know what you do, you're quite well known, but those there may be those who don't. Fill us in on the various hats you wear and, and what you're doing at the moment, Chris.
1: Sure. My, my current role right now is mostly just making content for the various uh, platforms that we create content for, mostly YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and TikTok. And I, I'll, aside from doing that, I also author courses and run a coaching group called The Future Pro.
0: Awesome. Well, let's jump straight into it. I'd love to hear some of your story, Chris. Let's start with your childhood growing up. What were some of the moments from that season of your life that really shaped you into the person and the leader you are today?
1: Mm. Well, the the first and probably most profound thing that impacted my life was uh, in April 30th, 1975, it was the fall of Saigon. Uh, my parents, uh, along with my, my uncles and aunts, fled Vietnam. and We escaped communism and wound up in America. I landed in, or we landed in Kansas City, Missouri in 1975. And so for me as a three-year-old child, I didn't really have a sense of who we were, where we came from. But I knew something was different because we didn't look or sound like anybody else uh, while growing up. And it was a hard thing to adjust to because my parents um, didn't speak a lot of English. My my dad's first job in America was bussing tables at a bar. And that's what he, he wound up doing. Now, luckily, uh, we came to America in a time in which uh, you didn't need a degree to get a decent job. And my dad wound up doing a lot of um, night classes. And he was able to eventually wind up in San Jose, California, as a a chief engineer at a semiconductor company. And the reason why I point that out is because we moved a lot. Uh, Every time uh, we would be able to save up some money, my dad would move us from one lower income neighborhood to one level up, and we just kept doing that. So it meant that I was seeing many different cultures and societies from being uh, lower income class to upper middle class.
0: Yeah, that must have been uh, interesting, and I I think when someone has such a, an incredible story like you do, Chris, and your family um, of coming out of just um, you know I, I can't even imagine your parents what what must you know what that must have been like to make that journey to to leave you know their home country and and come to the US and start a new life. What what did you learn from them as you watched them? go through like that's got to be one of the toughest things in life you can do is to move countries what did you learn from them from your parents that stuck with you as a leader as an entrepreneur today
1: Mm. i think some things were learned as lessons and some things you just kind of learn through observation you don't even know them until you look back later on but i think my parents having had to leave everything quite literally everything behind and losing their own country. Um, I think there's a sense of detachment that that, they, that we inherited as, as kids, my brothers and I. So we never became too attached to anything. And that was also amplified by the fact that we moved uh, neighborhoods quite often. I went back and kind of retraced our steps a little bit. And on average, we moved about every year and a half to two years. And so as a kid, I didn't know this, but I had a hard time making connections with friends, putting my roots down. And so I didn't really have a place or neighborhood to call home. And that's a stark contrast to my kids who have primarily grew up in one house in one neighborhood who still have relationships with their childhood friends, whereas I hardly know anybody. And I think Mm -hmm. you could look at that like, "Mm, that must have been really rough. But it also gave me the sense like I'm not bound by where I live or the things that I have. And so there's an incredible amount of freedom to that.
0: You know, it's it's been one of the biggest surprises doing this podcast how often that specifically comes up. People talk about when I ask them about their leadership and about, uh, you know, inevitably we we end up talking about growing in resilience and and they talk about moving a lot when they were when they were younger and uh, how that sort of shaped, you know, for for a lot of people as well. Saying when you when you're moving that often, I don't know if you were moving. Um, neighborhoods as well as as houses but people who moved around to different locations had to learn how to make friends quickly how to break into a group that they didn't know that if you if you grow up in one place you don't have that challenge and uh i never would have picked that but that's that's honestly been one of the most common themes from chatting with you know more than 150 leaders on this podcast
1: yeah, that would be surprising. So sometimes it was homes and sometimes it was neighborhoods, like switching school mm. districts uh, because one was more advantageous for us, even though the house was still the same. But sure. unlike many of your guests, uh, I don't I didn't acquire those social skills. I didn't figure out how to reacclimate or acclimate to a new environment. And mm. so I wanted being a bit of a loner, being more introspective. Yep. And I'm an introvert by nature, but I, I also think I developed some sense of uh, just being very, very shy. Like extreme shyness, you know. I I wouldn't make yes. eye contact with people. People in high school I remember would, would would try to say hello to me and I just didn't know how to respond. It's mm-hmm. not that I didn't like people, I do like people, but I'm just so uncomfortable and so self conscious that it became a really difficult thing for me.
0: You're now creating content. <laughs> Like you said, like one of the main things you do, that's a real contrast to growing up with extreme shyness. How have, like, what what has been the journey to go from extreme shyness to being, uh, I guess, to doing what you're doing now?
1: Yes. And I just want to point something out. I started my company in 1995. And in 2007, I was having a holiday party for my staff of about 18 people. And I remember just being nervous as heck, just trying to write down a few words on a note card to thank people and to congratulate everyone for a job well done. It was a very festive time for us. This is just right before the economic meltdown of 2008. And I remember my executive producer, his name is Santino. He looked at me, he's said, Chris, you gotta be kidding me. Just say something from your heart. But even in my own company at a very joyous moment, I, I, w- I found it just like really difficult to speak. And I, I dismissed them, I said, you know what, I gotta do it my way. Uh, so it's, it's been a very difficult journey for me. Uh, but there was one moment in particular that things started to change. I remember my business coach at that time, his name is Kier McLaren, and he noticed something because clients were coming in and out of the office all the time. And whenever we would meet, he's like, Chris, I noticed that you're almost always secluded in your office. It's kind of really important for you to go and talk to the clients. Uh, because that's who they develop relationships with. And as great as your team is, they won't always be here. And when they're gone, your clients will follow them because they didn't even know who you are. And he also said something else. He said that you underestimate the power of being an owner. It means the world to clients and customers when the owner takes time out of their day just to come in and check in with them. And I told him, I'm like, here, the problem is I don't know how to enter those rooms, and I don't know how to get out of them, quite literally. Like, I don't know how to just barge in there mm-hmm. and, like, say what. And so he <laughs> called my staff together. He said, hey, everybody, come together. He said, here's the thing. It's very important for the success of this company and your future employment here for Chris to get to know the clients. What I want you to do is I want you to introduce him. And I want you to make up an excuse as to why he has to leave. Get him in and out of the meetings. And this, so that's what quite literally happened. Clients would be there. Uh, my executive <laughs> producer would introduce me and say, "Hey, everybody, Chris is on three other projects, but he he wanted to come in and say hi to you." And I'd say, "Hi, everybody, how's it going?" I could say that, and then they would just make up a random reason. There was no meeting. <laughs> He's like, okay, I have to steal him for a bit. We're gonna get him out of here, right? Yeah. And so it was kind of like social training wheels. And I would do that a couple of times. Yeah. And then I remember one time in particular, my executive producer, his name is David. David would say, "Hey." Uh, I got to get you out of here. We got, and I said, you know, David, uh, I'll be there. It, it can wait. It, it's okay. I, I'm prepared for that meeting. And he looked at me like, huh? And I stayed there and I talked to the clients. And then eventually I said, I have to run. I'm probably slowing down the whole creative process for all of you. But just let me know if you need anything because we do care about your business. And so that was the beginning of my journey towards figuring out, like, you know, I I need to. I'm holding back my company. I'm holding back the opportunities that we could generate because yeah. I am, as my my business coach would say, the best salesperson for what it is that we do. Yet mm. I'm deferring to others to do that, and they're going to do okay.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I that really resonates with me because I have, uh, you know, I've talked in the podcast a lot about my journey with anxiety, and I remember one time sitting down with a psychologist and doing a test around social anxiety which people who know me would find hilarious because once again, what do I do? I do a podcast. What did I do growing up? A lot of a lot of public speaking. But I always found that I would churn over in my head again and again, whether I made any social errors or, um, and uh, and so I what I appreciate about your story is the intentionality. And it reminds me of something which, which only in the past couple of years has really helped me. I always find social settings when you meet someone out uh, socially and, and, and like making small talk has always been a bit of a, uh, like, uh, for me, it's never quite sit, it's never quite sat right with me because, you know, you ask someone, oh, so, you know, tell me what do you do? And they say, oh, I've actually just recently been unemployed. And you think, oh man, I just put my foot in my mouth so badly. I don't want to make someone new that I've just met feel like that. And I remember I came across this book, um, and I can't remember which book it is now off the top of my head, but it had this question in it, and the question was, when you're in a social setting, ask people, uh, how um, how do you spend most of your time? And it opens up this conversation where they can pick and choose. They can talk about their family. They can talk about work. They can talk about study. Uh, it, it often zooms in on what they're passionate about. And they can sort of pick from their perspective. And that, that's that been such a game changer because it gave me a strategy you know, anytime I meet someone in a social setting, rather than saying, what do you do? Or I, I like to just start by saying, oh, so tell me, how do you spend most of your time? And it's a similar intentionality that um, to to your story, but in a social setting. And, uh, and I think the great thing about both of those stories is that these sort of things can be learned.
1: Yeah, you know, the funny thing is I describe myself to people now as a loud introvert and it's because people have this question because it's like this strange dichotomy that creates a schism in their mind. Like, how can I say I'm this really socially awkward person? And I have social anxiety yet everywhere they turn on social media or on the stage, they're like, there I am. And so I kind of had to make up this term or this pairing of words called the loud introvert to explain why. Now, my goal in life is to make content so good. I actually don't have to have social skills. Allow me to explain, because if you are really well known before you walk into a room and people get value from what it is that you're doing, then they're going to introduce themselves to you and say, hey, I love this video, or I just saw you, or how do I know you? Or, I think I've seen you before. And it's a great conversation starter. So it's much, much easier.
0: That's genius. I love that. That's such a uh, such a great strategy. Uh So interested to know in your leadership journey, what was one of the first leadership opportunities you had, you know, out of school or or college? What was that journey like for you, Chris, where you had your first leadership opportunities? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, There's a couple of opportunities that popped up or a couple of memories that pop up my mind. Uh, When I was still in school, I had this opportunity to work at an ad agency and I I decided to take a break from school uh, before graduating. And I worked at this agency in Seattle called Colin Weber. And there, as a, the most junior person, your title is art director if you deal with the visual aspects of, of an ad. And it was quite interesting because I would work really hard because this is just the training, the rigor that I got from going to Art Center. And my boss, Kevin Jones, he recognized that right away. And he would put me on, on, on new business pitches and get me really involved he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself at that time. So even though I was only, I can't even say a year out of school because I'm still in school technically, uh, he would fly me to client presentations b- because he knew I could speak to certain things and cared about the design and the, the way that the ads looked that uh, nobody else had that amount of passion for. And so I'm already getting tested out of school. And shortly thereafter, I graduate school, I stop working at the agency, and I'm freelancing around Los Angeles when my, my uncle calls me out of the blue and he says, you know, ever since I've known you as a kid, you've always talked about wanting to own a business and you've always been hustling. How would you like to start a business? I'm like, of course. He goes, well, my business partner and I, who's a hotel developer, by the way, we want to invest in a design company. If this is something you're interested in doing, write a business plan and meet us um, for dinner. Because we're going to be in Los Angeles in in like a week. So I'm just, this is kind of like the dawn of the internet. It's not like you just go online and say business plan. Made a few phone calls, just scrambled, worked all day night for days. And I wind up uh, meeting them at the Westin Bonaventure, which is a famous uh, hotel here in in Los Angeles. Uh, This scene for the backdrop for many movies. And I meet them. I hand over my my business plan as a 22-year-old kid just straight out of school. They glance at it. And they're like, well, here's a check. It's a good faith check. Let's do business together. And so there I am, not even a year out of school, I, I basically stopped freelancing and start my own company. And so I've always <laughs> looked for those kinds of opportunities.
0: Did you, <laughs> that's so, I mean, that's that's incredible. Both of those stories, what's interesting is that both of those people made, made the call. They said, hey, we'd like you to fly over here. Hey, we'd like you to, uh, you know, we want to invest money in a, in a business. Have you thought about doing this? What, what do you think it was about you as such a young guy that built that trust or, or led to that? Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's an abnormal thing for those, uh, you know, for, for the average person to be seeing in a 20 year old, what was it about you and and how you did what you did, do you think?
1: I think it's a couple of things. and. I don't want to get too woo woo on you because i'm not really a person myself but i think there is this thing about uh, the law of attraction when you put something out to the universe uh the, the the people and 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 opportunities kind of gather around you to make those things happen and as a young person i think what i did was i showed that i want to start a business and i would do i would create one failed business after another so the people who were paying attention like my mom and my uncle and, and my friends was like, he's going to be a business person. He's going to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't even know that term back then. I just, I knew I wanted to create something. I, I wanted to be <laughs> that kind of master of my own destiny to author it. And so they could see that. They could see the determination, the focus, and probably coupled with the work ethic. Like very specifically, my first boss, Kevin Jones, said, you work harder than anyone here at this agency. And I like that. And I think you're going to set the bar for... What people can and can't get away with here, yeah, and they it, whether you have talent if you're uh, as I was a little immature and uncouth uh, they, they it's just like we'll work with that, and we could work with that drive. People could see that in you
0: yeah, that's I like that you mentioned work ethic because so often we hear stories like that and we think, Chris, wow, you know just what a guy must be must have amazing skills, which is true. But work ethic, I find when you dig deeper in any story, this i this idea, this myth that there are people out there who are just um, lazily dancing their way to extreme success in any field, it, it's such a myth. It's it's like you talk to anyone and and who's really successful in what they do, and so often you just find, you know what, just hard hard work and working harder than anyone else is like it's it's one of those things that you can't beat over the long term, right? Like over over the long term, yeah. if you'll do that with a teachable attitude and um, I feel like that combination is, is pretty unstoppable in most fields.
1: Yeah, and I have to uh, confess something here. When I was going to Art Center, uh, it was filled with uh, upper class and just how do I say this? Wealthy students or students from very wealthy backgrounds So I never felt like I totally fit in, even at art school where this is supposed to be my tribe. People are driving in fancy cars. I'm driving in a third generation hand-me-down car, barely holding together, right? It's like, you you ever watch romantic comedy when the guy's trying to impress the girl and drives up to pick her up for a date and the screeching sound of the the timing belt hits right at the most inappropriate time. So everybody's looking at him awkwardly. Yeah, That was no joke. That was my life. That was the car I was driving. (laughs) And so I always thought, my goodness, these people have traveled the world. and They yeah. have ex- uh, experienced cultures and, 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 and architecture and art. They've gone to galleries and they've done things. I haven't done anything. But the one thing that kind of allowed me to sleep well at night was knowing this thing. I will outwork them. And that's what I would just build my own identity on. And I would just say, you know what? When you're out partying, chilling, you know, drinking wine and cheese, whatever you guys wind up doing, I'll be in the library, and mm. I'll be in the computer lab. This is what I will do, and that yeah. work ethic is the thing that whenever I started to doubt myself, I would just lean in. You know what? Let's work. And let's get to yeah. work.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm just laughing because the timing belt thing. It, it,
1: <laughs> you know what I'm talking <laughs> that, about, then
0: I do. Yeah, anyone who's ever driven one of the well, what, older cars, like I had a a um, Hyundai Excel like 1990. 192 and it would yeah when that went when there's there's something so just embarrassing about how loud it is when that if your timing belt would make that noise when you're trying to take off from somewhere and you know make a good impression on on people and then you this massively like uh it's anyone, if it, anyone's ever experienced that, that's why I'm chuckling because I've been there and it's its so like, oh man, just hide your face in shame. The loudest, most <laughs> embarrassing noise. So I love that you said that. Oh, and it's so not like I
1: didn't try to take care of it. I would take it to the mechanic, like, yeah, you know, it's just loose sometimes. <laughs> that's right. Most of the times yeah. it would just be fine. But it's yeah. right when, you know, somebody you're trying to impress a pretty girl or a teacher and it's like, so that yeah. going like oh. <laughs> and so
0: loud. Oh, that's why it's bringing back memories. I had someone just the other day on the podcast talk about um he was te- he was telling stories about how amazing his mum is and and just saying that when he was 16, he uh <laughs> he's like, I don't know, I mean, his mum let him take this girl out on a date and they must be able to get their license at 16 where he was. So he took their car and uh and to impress this girl, he sort of pulled out of the driveway really fast and and took off lost control of the car not not at a fast speed but just hit hit the curb and broke the axle so basically oh. 100 meters away from home so he <laughs> he had to uh he had to walk his um his date back to their house and uh and the the story was about how his mum was so um just like she made him pay him she made him pay her back and everything for it but she was unperturbed was more worried about him and went and got the car and thought it was hilarious how it was but still made him pay it back in this mix of fun like how do you how do you not take yourself too seriously but also um like i said she still made him pay pay her back but that was another great story that just popped into my head about terrible um dating <laughs> dating stories involving cars <laughs> oh that's uh that's so good so uh chris what about What about mentors, you know, in, in your, across your career so far, who have been some of the people that you've watched from afar or worked closely with who have been the biggest inspirations and, and influences on, on your leadership and and entrepreneurship?
1: You know, I've been very lucky to have just at the right time in my life, someone who saw something in me or who took a chance and helped me to get over a rough patch. There are too many teachers in my life to name, but there are two very specific people who are probably the most instrumental. I should say three. Uh, first is, is the most obvious one is my dad. And, and my dad, uh, being the oldest male of, I think, 11 brothers and sisters, he had a very different way of raising us than any of my uncles and aunts. Uh, he, he would Whenever I got in trouble, and I would get in trouble uh, from time to time, uh, the, the old way of dealing with that was to just whip you right so corporal punishment well my dad never did any of that uh Mm -hmm. he sat us down and we would talk for an hour an hour and a half and he would lecture us and he would ask questions and later on i just found out that there's a term for that it's called the socratic approach he would ask me questions to make me think about my logic and have me reason things with him so that i would arrive at the same conclusion now when i was a kid this was torturous i would rather just get the belt and get it over with so i can go back to playing video games or go play hide and seek (laughs) with my friends. But, yeah. you know, sitting there with my dad for an hour and a half, like, dad, I got it. I got it. He goes, no, we're going to keep talking about this. So my dad is, is a person who's taught me a lot of things, not directly, but just indirectly. I learned this from him. The next person is, I mentioned before, my business coach, Kieran McLaren, who I worked with for over 10 years. And we would meet every single week uh, for an hour, sometimes two hours, for over 10 years without fail, like barring somebody's holiday or any, anything big, we would meet. And he basically taught me everything that I know about business today. Uh, basic things like saying what you think. Like I always thought like we were supposed to dance around the circle and be very polite. But if I wanted to know what the budget was, I should just ask the client, is this the budget? And if you're considering other people, will you tell us that you're considering other people? And, and so that was a, a lot about how I learned how to do business and do sales and uh, negotiations mm. with the clients. The third person is my friend from a school. His name is Jose Caballe and he's a Puerto Rican American. And he and I reconnect after 10 years of uh, doing different things. And he taught me so much about running an education company, authoring a product. And he's the guy who got me to be on camera. And that was in December of 2000, I'm sorry, January of 2014. He said, let's go make some videos for YouTube. And I thought that was the dumbest, craziest idea ever, especially (laughs) because I was still battling with my introversion. But the decision to do so obviously has has a profound impact on my life, changed the course of my life and my business.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing about those three. Are there there any – let's go through each of them and and just see – Okay. With your dad, are there any stories that are imprinted in your brain about particular lectures he gave you or something completely different just about your dad, where yeah, he they're, handled they're all... life? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, you cut out there. So I, I thought maybe you had finished, but okay. Yeah, for my dad, I mean, there's a lot of little things. Like, I'll, I'll tell you a little, little story, tiny little story. I was in grade school, and one of my friends had a handheld gaming device. Back then, they were just blinking lights that you pretended was a football player. And you would just move this around. And so one of my friends from school that I didn't even know that well would loan it to me. I'd come home, I'd play it. My dad would look at me like, what is that? I said, oh, my friend loaned it to me. He goes, "Uh, I don't know. And then sure enough, the the, the handheld breaks and it just doesn't work anymore. And my dad being the engineer and and we call him Mr. Fix-It, I said, dad, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why it's not working. He says, so here's the problem. Here's one reason why we don't want to borrow things that we don't need that aren't ours because now when we borrow those things we become responsible for them now it could just been that it was ready to break or you actually did something to break it but now you might have to buy it and replace it so you will be out the money and you won't even have the game console i was like oh shoot okay i have to think about this luckily though my dad was able to open it he checked it out saw there was something back in there was one loose wire and and thank god he is who he is so <laughs> that taught me this powerful lesson, like, you know what? <laughs> be good with what you have. Don't be looking around everywhere and saying, oh, I want those things and covet things that you don't really need because you become yeah. responsible for them.
0: Yeah, that's such a good lesson. Uh, your dad sounds like an amazing amazing person, and a great role model. What about your business coach? Um, any stories of wisdom or advice? You already mentioned about that great advice around um going in the room to, you know, to welcome clients, but any other stories that really are ingrained in your memory from your, from your business coach, giving you advice or watching how they handled something.
1: Yeah. This podcast for seven hours, I wouldn't even have enough time to tell you all the things I learned from him, (laughs) but I'll pick out one where, where I think he set me straight on a couple of different things. Now, oftentimes as Kira and I would get together, I would sit there and think about like, okay, so for this week, I want to talk about X, right. And, so sure enough, we get together. I said, Hey, Kier, th- this employee is just making me insane. Like I'm just, just making me really angry by behaving this way. And he would let me talk and I could see his expression was, uh, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. and then it would just switch over to a little smirk and he waits for me to finish. I finish. And he says, um, so this employee made you angry. I, I could sense something was coming. I'm like, yes. He's like, an employee can make you do something. Well, let me ask you this question. Who hired this person? Like me. And who hasn't fired this person? Well, that's me. Who allows this behavior to continue? Well, that's me. He goes, so you could do something about it or you could stop complaining. Because he said, in life, there are no victims, just volunteers. And so if you don't want people to come in late, you should, you should set the policy and then you have to enforce the policy these are two important things <laughs> so make a decision
0: <laughs> that's so good <laughs> I love that I can just imagine the sitting there nodding yeah so it made you feel uh, made you feel angry hey that's great right. <laughs> what about the uh, what about the third person your friend who really uh, inspired or really got you started with say YouTube and making content any stories from that uh, relationship from your friend about sort of pivotal moments or um, funny stories or uh, anything that's, that really stands out as a story uh, with him?
1: Yeah. This next story has actually has a title for it. It's called the corridor. So Jose and I were both invited to speak in Seattle and he's an extrovert. He's self-described loud and obnoxious uh, Puerto Rican, and he could be um, comfortable in a room full of strangers and no problems i'm the exact opposite so jose and i were giving a presentation and we had practiced the night before but you know there's only so much we can practice together and so we're we're going to be up in about 30 minutes so we're in the hallway the corridor between the stage and somewhere else and we're just going over lines and like who's going to say what you know it's important that we have some flow some chemistry together and he's kind of just sitting there chilling and I'm pacing back and forth very nervously in the corridor. And He goes, what are you doing? I said, oh, dude, I'm so nervous. And he goes, well, you're making me nervous by pacing like this. Hey, Chris, come over here. I want to show you something. So I'm like, what? He goes, I want you to look through that doorway. So he pulls the door ajar and he's like, tell me what you see out there. And so from our vantage point, we could see the everyone in attendance looking at whoever's speaking but they can't see us said, I don't get it. I see a bunch of people. He goes, well, no, look again. Look a little deeper. I'm like, dude, what is your point? I'm nervous enough as it is. He goes, you know, everybody out there is, is white. We're in Portland, okay? It's, it's pretty white as it comes. He goes, you're <laughs> Vietnamese. I'm Puerto Rican. And he goes, all we have to do is go out there and be ourselves and we get suck." We could just forget everything we're going to say, but because we are who we are, we're going to be so different and we're going to speak from a different place. And we're going to have a different style that they won't help, but be able to like us just because we're so different that we're unique. And he taught me a really valuable lesson that day is that all my life, i have been running away from who I was trying to blend in, trying to be socially accepted and that was the beginning it wasn't transformative in that moment but it's the beginning of me finding my own voice leaning into my culture and bringing all of what i have when i'm in a room with people
0: yeah that's wonderful advice and um just uh yeah great stories thank you for sharing all of those stories with us i'm interested to know for you as a leader as a businessman as a content creator um as a designer you know all the different things you do chris are there any particular aha moments for you um, in the past few years that stand out where you learned a lesson? I know you've probably already mentioned a couple here, but any other sort of big aha moments for you as Chris, the entrepreneur, businessman, leader that come to mind?
1: Uh, there are, uh, um, there, there's probably a moment or two. I'm trying to sort through like which one would be the most relevant, <laughs> right? So sure. as an aha moment. Okay, I I remember one here I can share with you. Um, one of the things that my business coach got me to do was to do public speaking. Uh, it was basically building upon, okay, now you can talk to your clients, now go out into the world and stop being the world's best kept secret. You have things to share and I'm sure people want to hear about the stories that uh, you've experienced in your life. And so I remember like, okay, I'll do this. And I would volunteer for one local event and another And I just remember like, oh, so, so fear, anxiety inducing, I would lose sleep. Uh, Somebody told this joke, this didn't really happen to me. But basically, on the day that this person agreed to do public speaking, they would just start losing weight and just restless, sleepless nights, you know, and that was me going through like, oh, what am I to say? And just grinding away at the presentation. (laughs) Hmm. But I remember one time I was in Seattle, I was doing a talk for an Adobe related event. And I think I was the last speaker of that day. And I went out and I spoke and I felt like I nailed the landing and I wasn't nervous. And I re- remember like as soon as I was finished, uh, people would applaud and I I, I kind of left the stage and I called my wife immediately. I was just like, I got to call my wife. And she was like, honey, is everything okay? You never call me. Is everything okay? So you won't believe it. It's the first time I've spoken, I guess, in a year or two years that I haven't been just just scared out of my wits. <laughs> and she goes, what's different? I said, I don't know. But it, I started to think about it, mm. right? I started to think about it. And the thing that was different is prior to this point in time, I had all these ideas about who I was and who I was supposed to be on stage. And I thought, I want to do a really good job. I want to impress people. I want to sound eloquent and intelligent. I want to give these valuable things. But the funny thing was about a week and a half before I went to do this talk, my wife was watching a YouTube video and and there was like a monk and he was speaking to a group of people. I, I think he must have been like a Tibetan monk or something like that. And he was speaking to some people and he says, uh, you know, a lot of people are afraid to do public speaking do you want to know why I'm not afraid? And he said the reason why he wasn't afraid was because he was saying a blessing to each person. He was wishing them and sending positive thoughts. And I was like, this is so intriguing. So if we take our ego out of it, if we stop trying to live up to some impossible, perfect standard that we'll never measure up to and feeling the gap between where we are and that, Im- that impossible, perfect standard, If we just surrender say, you know what? I'm just going to be on stage. I'm going to think about giving value to people and hopefully for the person who's thinking about quitting to give them a reason to stay in the business, for a person who's struggling, give them a tool so that they they don't have to experience as much pain. If I just tried to wish things for people, like wish them well, to send Mm. a blessing, to give them some kind of gift in the way that I can, that was the big breakthrough. Yeah. And that was monumental for me. And now I try, whenever I get those nerves backstage, I keep sitting there thinking, someone out there needs help. Do your best just to help them. Forget about if you nail the landing, forget about all that. And it turns yeah. out when you stop thinking like that, you, you are fully present and your words will come out and you'll flow. It's a beautiful mm. thing when that happens.
0: That's so good. Um, it's such great advice. And it's, it's such a powerful mindset shift. If you can just change from thinking about getting it right or making it perfect to actually just trying to help someone um, and share something that's going to help someone out there. And uh, that's, yeah, that's, I I think that's also a good lesson. Like it's, it applies in a different way, but it's also a good lesson for business and for, um, you know, I I love uh, one of my favorite books on consulting is a book by Patrick Lencioni who I'm I'm a big fan of everything he does to be honest but it's called uh, it's got a really funny name it's called Getting Naked and it's about consulting in a way that is really transparent and without any agenda and the big idea that he talks about it's a bit like what you just shared it's like when you sit down with a client instead of or with a prospect instead of having some like sort of uh, you know, strategy to to you know, how am I gonna get this to happen or that to happen? It's like you still you still have that, but the big idea is just get in there and start helping them. Like if you just approach anyone um, that comes on your radar and try to be helpful and try to just do something that's gonna really add value for them. And and with consulting, it's often just get in there and and just if there's anything you can do that's gonna really add value to that person, your chances of like your relationship your rapport you build your like the the sort of people you end up working with and their how they think about price if you can just get in there and really help people that is such like it, it has all of these added benefits like a flow on effects and and so it's it's like the business version of that advice for public speaking yeah
1: i agree with that by the way too when you're doing sales or you're doing consulting Uh, to let go of whatever you think let go of this script let go Mm. of the framework and just have a conversation with someone and really try to be there for them yeah to really listen
0: it's and it's funny isn't it it's so rare it shouldn't be well i don't know if it shouldn't be but i wish it wasn't so rare but when you sit down when you're on the other side of that and you go this person really cares and is trying to help me and is fully present that's a differentiator and everyone's always looking for differentiation, but if you're in any sort of role where there's a service, like, uh, you know, where where who someone's dealing with matters, if you can be that person who's present and really cares and is just trying to be there for them, that, you know, is, is a great place to start that beats almost anything else you can say or do in that scenario, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And they can feel it.
0: Oh, yeah. 100% even if it's over the phone or, you know, I, I, I agree if you can, and I'm, I'm also a big believer. I was going to jump into something else, but just to, you know, add to this thought, I think giving away, like not being afraid to give away IP as well. I think that's a big challenge for a lot of leaders around content creation. I, I sort of tend to believe, you know what, just, just, Get in, just get out there and help people wherever and whenever you can. And if you're the thought leader that people go, that's where I go to get help for X, Y, or Z. Then the money, the money will come. There's a way to make that flow. But if you can just get out there or in a conversation, I try to really, you know, every now and then you have the thought when you're chatting with someone, oh, but if I tell them this, they may not need me for that. And I, I believe, you know what? Just tell them, just share it, help them. Sometimes in my line of work, that's about going, you know what, you could get me to come in and run that, or you could probably do it yourself and it would be just as good for this particular right. type of thing. And I feel like when you do that and do the right thing by people and, and really try to, yeah, just um, even take a take a hit for them as well and just, you know, put them before you in that moment, it always comes back. It always pays off, maybe not with that person, but when you have that approach, I think it's just such a good way to do business. agree. Well, let's jump into Leadership Express. I've got a couple of questions as we draw to a close, Chris. Um, The first question I want to ask you is, what's a book that you've gifted to other people or recommended a lot to other people?
1: Okay. You just want one book?
0: You can give me me as many (laughs) as you can think of.
1: Okay. The first book uh, that I'll recommend to people is The Win Without Pitching Manifesto written by Blair Enns. And it's a very simple book. It's written in 12 proclamations. It's it's a manifesto. So it's like very tight on words. And I think value to word count, very, very high. Expertly written. And it's it's a sneaky book on positioning and and expertise and, and position yourself as an expert. The next book I'll recommend is The Coaching Habit written by Michael Bungay-Stanier. And it's a wonderful book. And it's for people who don't even want to be coaches. It's really about leadership management and how to use questions to drive conversation because Michael in the book emphasizes if we can stay curious a little bit longer to ask a few more questions and be slower to give advice will help people to become more self-reliant, self-confident, and and will empower them to figure out their own genius. So it's a really beautiful book. Um, Another book that I truly, truly recommend is this book called Pop written by Sam Horn. And it's a book about how to say and phrase things in ways that people can remember them. So taking cliches and transforming Mm. them. She has like really helpful tools on what you can do to combine things that you've heard before to make them truly unique and different and, and to create your own intellectual property.
0: Wow, that is a brilliant little list. Um I think there's a couple on there that that I'm going to go and check out. Pop is one of them. Uh I've I've heard of the coaching habit and the the what was the the what manifesto? Sorry, Was the first recommendation? The
1: win without pitching manifesto. The win without pitching Ants.
0: manifesto. I've definitely come across that before. I may have even uh read it because it's is it a it's not a long read.
1: It's a very short read. It's very uh, short my read. My friend Jose, yeah. yeah. He would joke it's a it's like a two poop book like you can read it <laughs> like during two bowel movements
0: yeah, that's great I like that I like that um, metric for um for how long a book is <laughs> good. yeah great recommendations um what about right now uh are there any you know w- what are you loving listening to reading watching are there any books blogs podcasts um shows that you're watching or, or reading listening to
1: yes my very favorite podcast of all time, I think, is um, Radiolab, uh, and Radiolab takes a, a look at uh, interesting phenomenon, culture, and stories through the lens of a little bit of science. It's highly entertaining, very well produced, great storytelling, and uh, they they cover a wide range of subjects from things like uh, the placebo effect to like, do animals have a soul and a spirit? And it's it's really fascinating stuff and. I enjoy it as, as uh, you know, every time I walk, every time I have a minute to myself, I'm listening to Radio Lab. and another podcast, which I'm going to also turn into a book recommendation. Another yeah. podcast I like is the Moth Radio Hour, and mm. it's really about storytelling. They have things called story, story Slams and the Story Grand Slam. And so their whole mission is to help find and surface stories. And they just recently dropped a book that came out a couple of weeks ago. And it's called unsurprisingly "How to tell this story," and it's really beautiful because it has snippets from some of the best talks that they've ever uh, had the uh ability to share with people, but uh through three editors because it's not written by one person uh, there's a lot of really great helpful tips and one one thing they share, and I'll share uh what i've, I've yeah. been picking up is whenever you tell a story, there have to be stakes we have to know what's at risk what what's what's the the mm. pain in the game, right? So when you tell a story, you need to let the audience know that this is what's, uh, what happens if, if things don't work out for you. And when you do that and you tell a truth, honest and personal story, and you're, you're, you're brave enough to be vulnerable. Um, I think that uh, there's a psychologist, his name is Yuri Hansen or Hassan. Mm. And he talks about how the, the, the mind of the and the listener, uh, different or the same parts of their brains fire off when they're immersed in your story Hmm. it's a, a wonderful phenomenon i think it's called like speaker audience neural coupling or something like that yeah so it's fascinating when you pull people into your story so if you want to connect with people learn how to tell a better story
0: that's amazing i i always talk about um i like my my wife liz uh has to put up with my commentating whenever we're watching, watching anything, particularly if it's something that I think is um, poorly made or something. I I, I catch myself and I only catch myself when I, when Liz is glaring at me, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I commentate on things we're watching so much, but I'm always commentating on the tension, right? Like uh, in stories, I, I'm always saying, um, you know, you, you'll be watching a great show and then, they will kill off a character or famously, you know, in any of these sort of famous sitcoms, the couple nearly gets together, but then they break them up again. And I'm always talking about tension, but I I love, I've never thought about it like that, about what's at stake. And that's such a great filter. Automatically you get into the why and the, so what and the, all the other that's, that's probably
1: 100%.
0: That's probably the best filter I've ever heard. And I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with storytelling. So that's, that in and of itself was worth the podcast, Chris. Anyone listening, think about that and tell stories by thinking of what's at stake and communicate that to people. Boom, that is a game changer.
1: I'm glad you like that. I mean, I've been teaching sequential design and storyboarding for quite some time. Hmm. And there's many different approaches to it. But I, I once I read that phrase, because I've been thinking about it, like people yeah. tell you it's, uh, storytelling is about um, creating and releasing tension. Yes. So then you're like, well, what is tension then? <laughs> yeah. You know. So then, but what is conflict? Robert McKee yeah. says, uh, "No conflict, no story." So I'm like, how do we manufacture conflict? Well, <laughs> since they're really about helping you to unearth your own story, they don't have these tools available uh, that fiction uh, fiction writers yes. have, right? Yeah. Yeah. So find out what's at stake and why it matters to you, and why it should matter to the audience, So why are you telling a story? And and then they talk about. The transformation which is very important in all stories is yes. how are you different today mm. how did you change how 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 did these events impact your life and, and created something that you can't unsee or unknow
0: mm. which is different to in another I, I really love um russell brunson from click funnels and uh, i I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy some of his work around marketing i think um some of the, some of his sort of work around epiphany, his, what he calls the epiphany bridge story is similar, but I found the same challenge with epiphany. He does talk about achievement and transformation. And I love that. And it's not his idea. Some of that comes from the hero with a thousand right. faces. And, but yeah, that idea of that was big for me going, okay, how do you articulate achievement and then go a step further and, and articulate transformation? Because every wonderful, great story doesn't doesn't stop at achievement. What they did, it, it it actually goes to another level with who they became or or what they were part of transforming around them as well.
1: Yeah, and and the thing that's really beautiful about the Moth uh, Radio Hour and this book, How to Tell a Story, is that not all the stories have a happy ending.
0: Mm-hmm. Some of them are
1: actually quite tragic, and you you'll listen to the story, you'll read it, and it'll bring tears to your eyes. Yeah, and so they say that if you know what's at stake then you know that a decision has to be made. There's always that proverbial fork in the road. And mm. sometimes we focus on the action, the, the positive decisions, but sometimes inaction or not making a decision is a decision. And there's a story in there about a relationship with a young woman and her grandmother and, and the, the the young woman got pregnant. It was, a, it was a kind of a big deal. And she, she didn't think she could raise the child, so she gave the child up for adoption, which was a very sore point for the family. And throughout the years she had quietly stalked her her estranged daughter to see if she was doing okay. And she had all these dark thoughts and she's telling this story. And the thoughts were like, was she better off without me? And did she find a better home or is she doing worse? And 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 she was pleasantly surprised that her daughter was doing really well in life. And she didn't know how to tell her grandmother this. And she kept like looking and waiting for an opportunity to tell it to her knowing how painful that that uh, giving her up for adoption was for the family. And so her grandmother has a stroke and she decides, okay, today's the day I'm gonna tell her. I have to tell her, she's getting kind of old. So she goes and she tells her, she goes, you remember um, how I had to give up my daughter for for adoption? And the grandmother looks at her, it's like, no. And she says, literally she died the next day. And it was a heartbreaking thing because she had all this stuff that she could have shared and they could have, grown through the experience but she didn't have the courage to tell her and that was a story about not mm. taking action
0: mm. profound
1: you know yeah but it, it's, is profound. there's not a happy ending on that one
0: yeah i mean that's um yeah that's so profound wow it, it reminds me of uh people i can't remember where there's so many different sources out there but talking to people on their deathbeds and and how often it is what they didn't do I think people have mentioned this in the podcast actually that that that's really inspired them that usually it's what they didn't do rather than what they right. did do that they regret it's 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 very often i I wish I had of done that or right. um tried that or reconnected with them or whatever whatever it is it's so often it's a mission omission that people regret rather than you know what they actually did
1: yeah, it's almost always you regret what you didn't do versus what you did do,
0: Hmm. Well, we could, uh, like you said, we could go probably 7,000 hours talking about all the different stories in your life. And I've just, this has been so much fun. Uh, Let me ask you one more question just to land, Chris. Uh, If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say to them?
1: The one piece of advice I would give people is start making content today. I waited until I was 42 years old before I made my first YouTube video. And the eight years since then, it's been a profound, transformative change in my life. And I am uh, reaping the, the benefits of making that one bold, courageous decision uh, way back then. And I can't tell you how different my life is today from prior to that. So just for context, I started my company mm. in 1995. It mm-hmm. was called Blind and we had made commercials and music videos. So I was in the music video and and commercial making business for 20 plus years. Since starting on this journey on making content, mm. I now no longer do client work, and we've been client-free since December of 2018. So that means I get to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, for as long as I want. And it's a beautiful, <laughs> just, uh, just this harmonious, virtuous cycle that I live in right now. So I'm, I'm so happy that I wish it for more people.
0: Yeah, I love that advice. I haven't had that before as the one piece of advice, but I second it. Um, it's um oh you know what I've mentioned this before on the podcast but this is what I love about creating content and and just going out there and doing it and um when I started this podcast I had a week uh you know in terms of finding the right way to create content that works for you but the 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 point is there's no question about whether you do it you just need to find the right way to do it and for me this podcast has been wonderful because I love being able to ask the questions and be really interested in people's lives, but also it it creates wonderful leadership content for people um, and it's based around people's stories. And there was a week recently where I realized, wait a second, this week I had a few, quite a few podcasts on that one week. I realized, wow, okay, I probably had 10 that week, which was a lot. And I created 10 hours of content and that was probably more than I created last year. And I did that in Mm. a week. And that for me was such a, I thought that was hilarious. And, um, and and yet there are so many people out there that that's why I just want to echo what you said, who are arming and ironing, and go and add it up, go and add up how much content you created last year, particularly, um, you know, video and, and engaging content. And And often it'll be less than an hour that people create because we get so perfectionistic about it. And it's like, well, actually the best way to work out what works is to go and do it and try it and watch and learn. And, um, but I love what Gary Vaynerchuk says that like what your content will be subjective. This is paraphrasing, but he's like your content, the quality of your content. Yeah. That'll be subjective. What's not subjective is that you have to go out there and start creating content. Mm. Well, Chris, for those who have just loved uh, some hearing some of your story, where can they find you and um, your organizations online?
1: I try to make it very easy to find me. If you go to thefuture.com, you can find almost all of our resources there and the future is spelled without an E. So it's F-U-T-U-R, no E at the end. And you can find me on most social platforms at the Chris Doe, and Doe is spelled D-O.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. What an episode. This is going to be one of the uh, favorites I can already tell. Just jam-packed with epic stories and... What's at stake? You know, just some of these ideas that seriously, I'm gonna I need to go and write them down or listen again. Um, it's been it's been so good. Don't forget, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, where you can go to continue to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Chris, for being uh, so generous with your time for telling such great stories. And uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to be really helped by what you shared today. So, uh, thank you so much for spending time with me.
1: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
0: answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership.